You are listening to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are on the third portion of Parshat Bemidbar. Today we'll begin studying uh, the third chapter of Sefer Bemidbar, but before that we need to uh, wrap up some of the topics that we discussed in the two previous shiurim. We have a little bit of confusion as to who is the leading son or the leading tribe when reading the first two chapters. On the one hand, Reuven is mentioned first, twice in the, twice in the list of leaders and in the census. But he does not travel first, as we see in the second chapter. Additionally, he takes on one of Zilpah's sons into his camp, Gad, which puts him on a lower level. On the other hand, Yehuda is mentioned third and fourth in those first two uh, uh, lists, the list of leaders and in the census, but he travels first and is only Leah's sons in his camp, which sets him up a notch higher. Yosef, on the third hand, is never mentioned first, but he has two tribes to his name, Ephraim and Menashe, which reminds us of the two portions of the Bechor. So this brings up a broader question. Who then is the Bechor? Who is the firstborn after all is said and done? So this sends us to a very interesting pasuk, a very interesting verse in Divrei Hayamim. If we open up Divrei Hayamim Aleph, Perak Hay Pasuk Aleph, the fifth chapter, the first pasuk, it says as follows. Uvnei Reuven Bechor Yisrael, ki hua Bechor, uvechalolo Yitzu'ei Aviv, nitena Bechorato livnei Yosef ben Yisrael, velo leitiachas la Bechora. Ki Yehuda gavar be'echav, ulenagid mimenu, vabechora leyosef. Bnei Reuven Bechor Yisrael, chanoch ufalu, chetron vecharmi. And in translation, the sons of Reuven, the firstborn of Israel, and here we pause in the translation for a second, because... The, the pasuk opens a parenthetical remark. After mentioning Reuven as the firstborn, the, the, the pasuk continues, for he is the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to Joseph, the son of Israel, but not to be considered the firstborn. For Yehuda prevailed over his brothers to be the leader, and the birthright went to Yosef. That's the end of the parenthetical remark. And then the pasuk goes on to describe the sons of Reuven. The sons of Reuven, the firstborn of Israel, Chanoch, Falu, Chetron, and Karmi. These pasukim are nothing but confusing. Reuven is called the firstborn. He loses the birthright when he defiles his father's bed, but he still remains and retains the title as the firstborn. Reuven is the firstborn, Joseph has the birthright, and Yehuda is the leader, the king. Often the Torah will subtly allude to an idea which will be brought home explicitly in a text later on in Tanakh. And here is a great example of that. The Torah at the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar confu sends confusing messages as to who is the lead Shevet, who is the firstborn Shevet. Is it Reuven? Is it Yehuda? Is it Yosef? Finally, in Sefer Divrayamim, the, the, the cloud is lifted, and in fact, there is a confusion. There are many different titles here. There's the leader, there's the firstborn, there's the birthright, and all of this is given 
subtle message in the beginning of Sefer Bemidbar. An additional example of this idea where the Torah subtly sends, set, says a message, but it's said explicitly later on in Tanakh, is in Parshat Re'eh. Parshat Re'eh in Sefer Dvarim begins and ends with Hamakom Asher Yivchar Hashem, the place that God will choose, the eventual Mikdash in Yerushalayim. As I said, it begins and ends with Makom Sherif Charashem, but in the middle of the parasha, the Torah discusses at great length two topics, idol worship and taking care of the needy, the poor, the unfortunate, widows, orphans. Why did the Torah do this? Why not just continue and complete the topic of Hamakom Sherif Charashem, the place that God will choose, and then move on later? Once again, I believe that the Torah is subtly alluding to what the prophets will later say explicitly. In order for the Mikdash to survive, the nation must focus on two areas. It must, it must not sin with regard to Avodah Zarah, to idol worship, and it must be moral in taking care of the needy. And with that, we conclude our, our attention to the first two chapters of Sefer Bemidbar, and now we can move on to the third chapter. Ve'ele toldot Aharon u'Moshe biyom diber Adonai et Moshe behar Sinai. Now these are the records of the generations of Aharon and Moshe at the time when Hashem spoke with Moshe on Har Sinai. It's important to first of all note behar Sinai, whereas Sefer Bemidbar, as it's named, begins in Midbar Sinai. Here we go back to Har Sinai. And here we're, that might that might become apparent short, uh, momentarily. But what we're discussing here are the generations, the offspring of Aharon and Moshe, at least seemingly. These then are the names of the sons of Aharon, Nadav the firstborn, and Avihu, Elazar, and Itamar. So we've mentioned Aharon's sons. We should now expect to see a list of Moshe's sons. However, that's not what, how the Torah con continues. These are the names of the sons of Aharon, the anointed priests, Kohanim, whom he ordained to serve as Kohanim. Vayamot nadav avihu lifnei Adonai behakrivam eish zara lifnei Adonai bemidbar Sinai uvanim lo hayu lahem. Vayichahen elazar v'yitamar al penei Aharon avihem. However, nadav and avihu died before Hashem when they offered strange fire before Hashem in the wilderness of Sinai and they had no children. So elazar and Itamar served as kohanim in the lifetime of their father Aharon. So first we'll briefly address this issue of Har Sinai meet Bar Sinai. The Torah is taking us back to Har Sinai. In Har Sinai, Aharon had four sons. However, as the Torah describes it, Bemid Bar Sinai, when B'nai Israel moved from Har Sinai to the Mishkan, which is still at the footsteps of Har Sinai, but were already considered in the wilderness of Sinai because the focus is no longer on Har Sinai, but on the Mishkan, and the Mishkan is in Midbar Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai, that is the place where uh, Nadav and Avihu die. So that was just a brief word about the movement from Har Sinai to Midbar Sinai. But now let's go back to the beginning of the Psukim. The beginning of the Psukim tell us that they're going to tell us about the offspring of Aharon 
and Moshe. However, when we actually read the Psukim, we only see the offspring of Aharon. Rashi already asks this question, and he says that only mentions Aharon's sons, and yet it mentioned that it were discussing the offspring of Moshe. Rashi answers, because he taught them Torah, and this teaches us that anyone who teaches his friend's son Torah, it's as considered as if he gave birth to him. So if we briefly reaccount what Rashi says, Moshe's children are Aaron's children. Moshe taught them Torah, therefore they are considered Moshe's children as well. The Rashbam, and in a similar vein the Ramban, don't take this approach of Rashi's. The Rashbam says as follows, Tchila mana todot Yisrael, v'achar kach todot ha-kohanim, v'achar kach todot ha-levi'im. The Rashbam says, first we counted the offsprings of, of the, the nation, all of Israel. Then, we, then the Torah counts the offsprings of the Kohanim, the priests. And then, subsequently, we'll count the Levim. Presently, we're counting Aaron's children. V'todot Moshe lefanenu ima Levim dichtiv velikat mishpachat ha'amrami. And if you want to know where Toldot Moshe, the offspring of Moshe, are mentioned, that's going to happen later on. When we get to the families of the Levim, it's going to mention the sons of Kehat, the family of Amram. And Amram is Moshe's father. Zeu Moshe ve'aron uvanav. This refers to Moshe and Aaron and their children. And their children, Asher Yikru al Shevet HaLevi. They are named from Shevet Levi. So we have two different explanations, Rashi and the Rashbam. The advantage of Rashbam's approach is that it relates to the text without introducing new principles. What do I refer to new principles? In order to understand Rashi, we need to assume two principles. One, we have to assume that Moshe taught Torah to Nadav Avihu in a more significant way than the rest of the nation, because otherwise, why as... Moshe considered their father more than the rest of the children of Israel. Two, we have to introduce the principle itself, that one is considered the son of the, of the person who teaches them Torah. The Rashbam does not like to introduce outside principles that are not written in the text itself, and therefore he doesn't go in Rashi's direction. However, the Rashbam's explanation has a weak point as well. We can only understand these verses when we continue reading the chapter which discusses counting the Levi'im. Additionally, another difficulty with the Rashbam is why Moshe's family needs to be highlighted within the Levi'im. They don't have any special status. Why should Toldot Moshe, the, the offspring of Moshe, be, be pointed out? Rav Mordechai Sabato claims that Toldot in the Torah refers to actual sons. Therefore, Aharon's sons are not Moshe's sons, and that rejects Rashi's approach. Additionally, the family of, Ram, of Amram, Moshe's father, mentioned later, is also not relevant, because Amram's father, Moshe's father Amram, is not Moshe's sons. Therefore, he rejects both Rashi's approach and the Rashbam's approach. His suggestion is that the Toldot, 
the sons of Aharon are being listed, the family of Kohanim. Since Moshe has a special status as a Kohen, both in the fact that he served as a temporary Kohen in the seven days of Miluim, before the inauguration of the Kohanim and the Mishkan, which we read about in Sefer Vayikra at the very beginning, and also by the fact that he regularly enters the Mishkan like the Kohanim as opposed to the other Leviim, he's therefore mentioned here as well as an, as an aside, as an honorary Kohen. Since the Leviim will be serving and servicing the Kohanim, the Kohanim are introduced prior to the choosing and the census of the Leviim. And that goes along with the order why the Kohanim are mentioned before the Leviim. The final pasuk in this section refers to the death of Nadav and Avihu, which is described in great detail in Sefer Vayikra. Their sin is described here, as in many places, Behakrivam Eish Zara, when they offered a foreign fire. This term, Eish Zara, is going to connect us linguistically to the next section about the Levim, which we will read right now. Vaidaber Adunai el Moshe Lemor, Hakrev et Mate Levi, Vehaamadeta Oto Lifne Aharon Hakohen, Vesheretu Oto. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aharon the Kohen, that they may serve him. Vishameru et Mishmarto vet Mishmeret kol haida lifne ohel moed, laavod et avodat hamishkan. They shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the Mishkan to do the service of the Mishkan. Vishameru et kol kele ohel moed, vet Mishmeret bene Israel, laavod et avodat hamishkan. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, along with the duties of the sons of Israel, to do the service of the Mishkan. Venatata et halvim leaharon ulevanav, netunim netunim heimalo meet bene Israel. You shall thus give the Levim to Aharon and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. Holy, W-H, entirely. Not holy as in H-O-L-E, H-O-L-Y, um, so you shall appoint Aharon and his sons that they may keep their priesthood, their kehuna, but the foreigner who comes near shall be put to death. The phrase to do the work of the Mishkan appears twice in this section, implying that the responsibilities of the Leviim can be pinpointed to two specific responsibilities. In Pasuk 6, the Levim are describing as serving Aharon. How so? Rashi explains by sharing the joint responsibility to keep out Zarim. Zarim literally foreigners, as alluded to in the final verse of this section, Vehazar hakarev yumat, and the foreigner who approaches shall die. Some commentaries, amongst them the Ibn Ezra and the Chizkuni, explain that this refers to excluding non-Kohanim foreigners from serving in the Mishkan. Non-Kohanim include Leviim and Yisraelim. Others, like the Sforno, say that these words refer to excluding non-Kohanim and non-Leviim from the various sensitive responsibilities in the Mishkan. This leads us to the Leviim's second task in the Mishkan, as elucidated in verse 8. Vishamru et kol kele ohel moed. 
The Levim have the task of taking care of the physical structure of the Mishkan and specifically the vessels. This is a specialized task that a non-Levi is not permitted to do, just as a non-Kohen is not permitted to offer sacrifices in the Mishkan. Thus, the foreigner could refer to the Levim and the Yisraelim with regard to the Kohanim, but the foreigner could also refer to only Yisraelim, excluding Yisraelim from both the work of the Kohanim and the work of the Levim. If we go back to the linguistic connection, Nadav and Avihu died behakrivam esh zara for offering a foreign fire, an offering that was not commanded. And the Levi'im are commanded to do their job in order to prevent vehazar hakarev yumat, a foreign person who tries to serve where inappropriate will also die. In verse 9, the Torah states about the Levi'im, Nitunim, Nitunim, Heimalo, Me'et B'nei Israel. The Levi'im are given to Aharon from B'nei Israel. What is the relationship between the Levi'im and B'nei Israel? Rashi states that Levi'im come instead of B'nei Israel as their emissaries, and therefore they receive Masrot as their compensation, they receive tithes. So the Levi'im coming instead of B'nai Israel will be examined in greater detail in the next section of the parasha. The Ma'asrot, as a salary for the Levi'im from B'nai Israel, will be examined in Parashat Korach. But we'll get a glimpse into the Levi'im coming instead of B'nai Israel immediately in the next section. Vaidaber, now we're reading uh, in verse 11 to 13. Vaidaber Adonai Moshe Lemor. ואני הנה לקחתי את הלוויים מתוך בני ישראל, תחת כל בכור פטר רחם מבני ישראל, והיו לי הלוויים. And God spoke to Moshe saying, Now behold, I have taken the Levim from among the sons of Israel, instead of every firstborn, the first issue of the womb among the sons of Israel. So the Levim shall be mine. Ki li kol bechor, biyom hakoti chol bechor be'eretz Mitzrayim, hikdashti li chol bechor be'Yisrael, me'adam ad behema, li hiyu ani Adonai. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, from man to animal. They shall be mine, I am Hashem. So the Levi'im being instead in the place of B'nai Israel in this section translates to the Levi'im being instead of the firstborn of B'nai Israel. Two questions need to be asked. One, what is God's claim to the firstborn of B'nai Israel? Two, why are the Levi'im replacing them? The answer to the first question is explicit in the verses. God killed the firstborn in Egypt sparing the firstborn of B'nai Israel, and therefore they belong to God. But the Torah does not state why the Levim are replacing the firstborn. Rashi states that initially the service of God was relegated to the firstborn. However, when they sinned at the golden calf, they were disqualified, and the Levim who did not sin took their position instead. This relates to Rashi's commentary on a verse in Sefer Shmot, at the sin of the golden calf. 
After the Levim killed 3,000 worshippers of the golden calf, Moshe says to them, Mil'u yedchem hayom lahashem. Fill your hands today to God. Rashi explains the term milu yadaim, literally filling in their hands, or in other words, empowering, as referring to dedication for working in the Mishkan, as we just read a few psukim ago in Pasuk Gimel, asher mile yadam lechahen which we translated, whom he ordained to serve as priests. So too, when God says this to the Levim, at the sin of the golden calf, the, the killing of the, of the worshippers of the golden calf somehow ordains them to serve, as, to serve for God. It's interesting to note that while Rashi and Bemidbar says that the Levim are chosen for not sinning, Rashi and Shmot implies that the choice of the Levi'im is not for their passive role at Chet Egel, not sinning, but their active role, their willingness to obey Moshe and kill the worshippers of the golden calf. However, all of this is not actually mentioned in Sefer Bemidbar. Sefer Bemidbar merely states that the, the firstborn belong to God, and the Levi'im are to replace them. We can accept Rashi's explanation. However, we must ask ourselves, is Sefer Bemidbar basing itself on our knowledge of Sefer Shmot and the sin of the golden calf and the role of the Levi'im there, a possibility as Rashi states, or does Sefer Bemidbar have an alternative explanation as to why the Levi'im are taking the place of the firstborn? Perhaps the Levi'im, in the footsteps of who we mentioned at the beginning of the Shi'ur, Reuven, Yehuda, and Yosef, they too have a unique role amongst B'nai Israel as leaders in a preordained place that has nothing to do with their actions at Chet Ha'egel. Let's begin reading the Psukim from Pasuk Yudalid 14 onwards to see how this replacement actually takes place. Vaidaber Adunai El Moshe Bemidbar Sinai Lemor. Again, Hashem spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Note again, we've come back to Midbar Sinai, where we were at the beginning of Sefer Bemidbar. Pekodet Benei Levi Levet Avotam Lemishpechotam, Kol Zacharmi Ben Chodesh Vamarla Tifkedem. Count the sons of Levi by their father's households, by their families, every male from a month old and upward you shall number. So Moshe counted them according to the word of Hashem, just as he had been commanded. So Moshe is commanded to count the Leviim from a month and older, the three families of the Leviim. We've already discussed why they're not counted from 20 years and old and up. 20 years and up is a military role, and the Levim serve no military purpose. But the Levim do have a role serving in the Mishkan. In fact, they are counted again at the end of our parsha and at the beginning of the next parsha from age of 30 till 50. And the explicit purpose of that census is for the purpose of working in the Mishkan. What then is the purpose of this first census from a month old? Clearly a month old baby can serve no function. 
the 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 implication of this of the psukim, and as we're going to continue in the parak, is that the counting of the levim from one month and old is specifically within the role of replacing the firstborn. And that's why it does not serve any functional purpose immediately, but just the actual existence of a Levi from one month and old is enough to ma- allow him to replace a firstborn. So we, we conclude today's shiur with looking forward to looking more in depth into the understanding of the replacing of the firstborn by the Levim. Today we have discussed the roles of three or four of the tribes as front-runners, leaders, Reuven, the firstborn, Yehuda, the leader, Yosef, the one with the birthright, and perhaps Shevet Levi as well. We've discussed the question of Moshe and Aaron's sons, Moshe's special role, and we look forward in the next year to discuss the replacement of the firstborn by the Levim.